first camp in, and I was excited for him. And uh, but uh, and, I, and I do appreciate, like I mentioned this morning, all the work and effort that went into that and uh, into the, into the camps this year. All right, First John chapter two tonight. First John chapter two. First John chapter 2, verse number 12. I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because you have known the father. Verse 14. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I certainly love you, Lord. I thank you for your word. Lord, I ask your blessing upon the service tonight. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified and honored. Please control what I say and how I say it, Lord. May your word instruct us and teach us. May it encourage us and, and, and do the work that needs to be done in our heart to draw us closer to you. So, Lord, please work. I pray this time would not be in vain, but that it would, it would be used to feed and to help. And, uh, Lord, so do the work, Lord. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I don't know if it's still true or not, but I remember back and went to public school, of course, and, and I didn't mind math too much. It might not have been my favorite subject. I didn't mind geometry, I actually liked a lot. That would have been probably one of my uh, course I enjoyed in high school more than others, the, the, the solving for the triangle size, I don't know, that challenge of that I, I did like. But one thing that was true with algebra and math, and algebra was just a lot of work, and, if, if, and, and so that I didn't enjoy too much. But with math, if you, if, back when I was in there, the back of the textbook had half the answers. Do you guys remember that? Is it my, like 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, 11 of the, of the questions, the actual answers are in the back of the math book. And uh, um, so I certainly enjoyed that. So there, there were certainly times when I was tempted just to simply jump to the back and get the answer. And I didn't think it was sin. I mean, they put it there for me to look at, I presume. And, uh, but the reality is many Christians are sort of that way with their faith and with their walk. They just want to turn to the back of the book without doing the work. They just want the shortcut to spiritual growth. But the fact is, there is no shortcut to spiritual growth. That won't happen. And just like in math, the fact is, if I cheated in my homework, do you know when that would be revealed? When the test arrived. When that test arrived, if I had been cheating and not actually figuring out how to solve, not memorize that formula, to break it down, when the test arrived, I would fail. You know when you fail in your Christian life and you're trying to cheat at your spiritual growth? When the test arrives. When the test arrives, you fail. You fail. Again, there's no short, there are no shortcuts to spiritual growth. The text we read here in 1 John, it actually gives distinct marked stages of spiritual growth. It's one of the clearest passages that we actually have in Scripture uh, uh, discussing it. 
And John here, of course, is, is certainly wanting to focus on these stages of spiritual growth, how some were little children, how some were young men, and some are fathers. And some, some might say, and, and it's just crazy, I, sometimes I'd, I'd look at that and be like, they say, no, he's dealing with little ages, with little children, a teen group, and then adults. No, he isn't. He's not dealing with literal ages right here. He is dealing with spiritual growth. So how do you know that? Because when you become a young man, you just don't overcome the wicked one. Oh, I'm a teenager now. I have now overcome the wicked one. <laughs> so what he is, he is specifically dealing with types of spiritual growth that should be taking place in your life. Little children, and then you get into a, a more pre-adulthood, the young men, as he describes it there, and then into fathers. So a measure of growth that applies, of course, male and female, just those transitions that need to be taking place. He's comparing it to our growth physically that takes place, uh, um, simply being a person. So we're going to look at these three stages of spiritual growth. And every single person in here that is genuinely converted, you are in one of these stages. You're in one of them. Um, you're either uh, 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 in the little children stage, the babe, someone who is saved, but there's a lot of growing that needs to take place. And we'll explain how. How it describes, it really details where you need to grow, what's taking place in your life, and how you relate to God. And then he describes the next stage and how you relate to God. Um, and what needs to take place to the last stage. Now, before we get into these stages, I thought it would be important if I gave certain truths when it comes to spiritual growth. These are things I think that are misnomers or things that we get wrong or things that, things that many times Christians genuinely put into their life thinking they're going to attribute it to spiritual growth, but they have nothing to do with spiritual growth. And then you wonder why you struggle day in and day out. So before I actually dive into that text, I want to give some things, some truths concerning spiritual growth. Number one is simple. I think everybody here has this one down. But spiritual growth plays zero, zero part of your salvation other than proof of salvation. The lack of understanding today as a whole, where the devil attacks, he did it in the book of Galatians, and we, I, I could demonstrate this scripturally easily, he attacks the doctrine of justification and how it works. Because it just takes just a little bit of error to turn that gospel into, as Paul put it, who hath bewitched you that you should believe a lie? <clears throat> Spiritual growth is proof of salvation. It shows you are saved. It is not effectual in salvation. Everything Christ did is what is needed to save you. That was effectual. So, number one truth, spiritual growth plays no part in your salvation other than proof of salvation. Amazingly enough, this one, think about this. This is many times we do have challenges because of how we relate to others. This is amazing to think about. God's love for you is not based on where you're at spiritual growth-wise. In other words, the babe who should be the father, God's love doesn't change. His love for that person doesn't change. Amazing. This one, now we get into errors, more errors in this one. Time is not a factor when it comes to spiritual growth. It's not. Time is not a factor. The longer you are saved does not equal spiritual growth. It does not. Hebrews 5.12, many verses that speak to that. 
But just because you've been saved for many years doesn't mean that you have grown spiritually. You should have grown spiritually with time, but that doesn't mean you have. Time, just time being saved does not equal spiritual growth. Okay? This one. Knowledge alone. You're going to see it's a factor, but knowledge alone is not a factor. Knowledge alone is not a factor. There are multitudes of people who know many facts and information about the Word of God, but are still very much babes in Christ. So it's not just the idea of knowledge alone. Knowledge, as we're going to see, is going to play a major part. But it's not knowledge alone that, that, uh, um, that will allow the spiritual growth to take place. Here's another one I think we, we, we mistake. Activity is not a factor. Activity is not a factor. Just because someone is busy in church does not mean they are spiritual. All right? Too often we assume activity equals spirituality, but it does not. All right? Now, don't get me wrong. I, I, I believe that when there's growth taking place, there will be activity. Okay? When there's growth taking place, there will be activity. But you cannot, on the outside, you cannot look and assume because there's activity that there's actually genuine spirituality. All right? The last one. Spiritual growth itself is not an absolute. It's not fixed. It's relative. It's, it is, there are certain things that are, would be absolute or fixed. For instance, whether in this moment I'm walking in the flesh or I'm walking in the spirit. That would be absolute. It is either true or it is not. Does that make sense? Spiritual growth is relative in nature. Um, it adjusts. It changes. Um, it, it's not in that absolute. It's, it, it, it comes in stages as we're going, going to see. And a lot of that, uh, of, of our growth and how it's relative, is how we respond to the times we're walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh. Much of that will determine the measure of your spiritual growth. So, now, with those six, let's, let's get into the text. Verse number 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now, um, to start with, he is, he is just using this text to demonstrate that he is talking to all those who are saved, those who have been born again. Right here, this is not one of the stages of spiritual growth. All right? The word he's going to use for children in the next verse is completely different than the word that he uses in verse 12. So there's a change from verse 12 when you get into verses 13 and 14. It is not the same word. The word used here for children is commonly used throughout the New Testament, referring to those who have been converted. The word literally means born ones. That's what it means there in verse number 12. Uh, without regard to age. And much like I'm a child of my parents, even though I am older. So the word here, what John is addressing, he says, okay, what I'm giving you, this is for those who are saved, those who have been converted. He's going to get into their stages of spiritual growth. <clears throat> and he makes that pretty clear, really, even in context, without knowing the definition of the word. I write into you little children, what does he put down here? Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So he is addressing those whose sins have been forgiven. Forgiven. Those who are converted. That's what verse 12 is. So what he's getting ready to get into is, of course, for those who are saved. 
And also notice the reason he gives for our sins being forgiven. That is for his namesake. Your sins are not forgiven because you earned it. (laughs) They're not. Our sins have been forgiven for his glory. For his name, not your name. So we are forgiven for God's glory. Now, let's get into the stages. And that's in verse 13 and 14. He says, I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because you have known the father. And then he repeats some with more information in verse 14. I write, I have written unto you fathers because you have known him from that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men. Now more information because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So we're going to take this, not not necessarily like I would expository, going through it in that order, but I'm going to take it through the order of growth. I'm going to go from little children to young men to fathers. I want to break it down that way. Again, as I've already mentioned, when we get into, when we, verse 13 anyhow, he says, um, uh, let me... I write into you fathers, uh, I, write in, I write into young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write into you little children because you have known the father. The word little children here, again, is different. As I already said, the previous word meant uh, born one. This word means little child. All right? It, mean, it means one who needs parental instruction. It's referring to those who are young in their faith, who are still ignorant and still need to be taught. Those who are immature, those who need growth. So it compares it to a little child. It's this stage of growth, little children, where there's really a lot of ignorance of God's Word. And this person has basic knowledge, but is just like a child. A baby, a a, a toddler, a a six-year-old. Still very much dependent upon his parents. Therefore, what we learn from that is this, and and this is how he addresses it. His life is relational when it comes to God. All right? Just like he said, um, I write unto you little children because you have known the Father. Their growth and what's taking place in their life is now, it's not based on knowledge they have because they still have to learn that knowledge. That growth has to take place, so it's not there yet. But it is based on now the relationship to God. They got saved. There's excitement there. The relationship to God has now changed. He's no longer just their creator. Now, he's their father. It's changed. And that that certainly is an exciting time. I mean, it's exciting when God becomes your father, when you are converted. They're attached based on the relationship more than they are on, on doctrine at this point. For instance... If we were to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we know that was a carnal church. We know that there was a lot of Christians there in that church that were still babes. They were in the little children phase. And you can notice, being in that phase, how every, every, even, even though their relationship to God was relational, how it would affect other things. Remember all the heroes they had in their faith? I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, chapter 1 and verse 12. Everything was relational. It was relational. It's, it's not because of a soundness. It's not because of theology, which we're going to see how important that actually is. But it's based on now the relationship they have. A conversion has taken place. But there is a danger in staying at this level. Look over in Ephesians chapter 4.
There's a danger when you're staying as little children and not allowing growth to take place. Ephesians 4, 13 and 14. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind. Notice a wind of what? Doctrine. By the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they, they lie in wait to deceive. So we see here there is a danger staying at this level. That when you're in that level, because there's a lack of knowledge, you still have to learn much about God, much about His Word, much about who He is. And, and, and therefore, you're, you're at risk. Because the knowledge isn't there. Your excitement with God is based on relationship. He's now His Father. But there's much, you have to grow. Because you're vulnerable to certain things at this point. You lack discernment. This is why parents tell their kids, don't talk with strangers. How many strangers that are wicked and vile deceive some children through some cunning words? Because they don't know any better. They don't know any better. The same thing can happen to those new converts um, because there's a lack of knowledge that is present. There's a, there's a cunningness that can come in, that can deceive, that can destroy. Uh, a little child lacks discernment. I think I brought this up before, but when Daniel was, I don't know, two or three years old, around Christmas time, and uh, I'm in the kitchen. Our, we had a little entry from kitchen into the living room. We were in military housing at the time. And as soon as you went in the living room, the Christmas tree was up right there. And so, and I happened to be just a few feet away working at the counter. And Daniel was about right here. And he's only about that high. You know, he's standing there in a diaper. And he keeps going, ow, 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 ow. My hand's hot. And I look over. And he's holding a light bulb from the Christmas tree. And I said, let go of the light bulb. Oh. He lacked discernment. Unable to comprehend what was hurting him. And little children do things like that. There was actually, it was actually one of the uh, Watt boys in New Mexico. Was it Sash Watt? He knocked out all the power. Do you remember that? Who? Yep, took a paper clip right in the outlet. Power went out to the school. He lacked discernment. When children are small, you know what it's like? They'll put anything in their mouth. Anything. They experience the world through their mouth, don't they? I, I mean, put an eight-month-old. Put stuff in. He's just going to go take whatever you put. He wants to feel it all over his face. And you've heard the story. Levi um, was... I don't know, 14 months old. Again, we're in New Guinea in our house and everybody's just reading and, and Levi's sitting on the floor. He's right in front of me. I'm sitting on a chair. He's right in front of the floor. Geckos are everywhere. We, they're just part of life there. We would name them. And so a gecko ran by Levi and he's tiny, 14 months, but he relates everything to his mouth. He has no discernment. He grabs the gecko, poof, in the mouth it goes. N not kidding. The tail's sticking out like this, just going crazy. And Levi's... Mm -hmm. I jumped down, I grabbed the tail, but what happens on a gecko when you grab his tail? They come off. The tail came off. And he's still... So I, I reach into his mouth, I reach in, I grab that, he's now dead. He's just chewed up gecko right out of his mouth. And the problem is, when you lack spiritual growth as a Christian, you listen to me, this happens all the time, you put a bunch of junk in your mouth. 
you're unable to spiritually discern the danger you're playing with. How it can corrupt you. Because the growth isn't there with the knowledge. <clears throat> I remember even in, when I was in the Air Force, I've got many stories I can go on this way, but I was going with one. There was a fellow I led to the Lord when I was in Korea, my last deployment. I had six months left. I was gone those four months. I was here in Alaska at the time, already assistant pastor. But I got deployed my last six months in the Air Force. So I spent four months of those gone. And, and I led a guy, he, were, he was a calm guy. And we got to know each other. I led him to the Lord. He was super excited. And I was getting into discipleship with him, but we just got started. And one of us got sent away. I don't know if that was me or him now. I really don't remember. For a, a few weeks. So for a few weeks, we were not able to meet. And he just got converted. We're talking 10 days or something like that. When we met up again, though, the charismatic movement had already gotten hold of him. He was excited. He started going to a charismatic chapel service. And that poison had already gotten in there. He didn't know any better. He had no discernment. He, had the re- he was so excited about his relationship with God. That was the only way he could relate. He had no discernment based upon knowledge and truth, though, how to respond, how to discern. It looked great. <clears throat> so... Those that are in this stage as little children, they certainly need to be growth, or the danger is what verse 14 talks about. You're going to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. No, it's this. No, it's this. No, it's this. There's no biblical foundational doctrine that gives you an anchor for your soul. So let's go on. Next stage. The second stage of growth we'll talk about is that of young men. Listed in verse, verse 13 and 14. Uh, let me get back to First John. <clears throat> he says this. Um, I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Verse 14. Um, I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Alright? So now we have a growth taking place. And this stage of growth is incredibly important. The relationship grows beyond parental, but now it's doctrinal. It's, it's knowledge. It's it's theologically based. There's some meat being taken in. There's some understanding of, 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 about God that's beginning to take place. There's an understanding of growth as a result of God's Word that's given a foundation. You can notice their strength is shown because they have overcome the wicked one. Why? Because they knew the Word of God and it abideth in them. They knew the Bible. It was being applied to their life. There's growth taking place. They're able to take meat. They're able to feed. At this stage, the Christian begins to really know and understand the Word of God. And at this level of growth, it says they have already conquered Satan. Now, how is that possible? That's a tough verse. But really, it's not when you think of the contextually what he's dealing with. Because we certainly know that the battles that we all face. Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse number 13. 
notice the context here. This will tie into 1 John. And I think you have understanding what he means to overcome the wicked one. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Remember what Ephesians talked about little children. The cunning craftiness laying to deceive, to present a false gospel, false teaching. Well, here's false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, dealing with religious instruction, dealing with changing truth. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, there's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their work. It's one of the greatest ways Satan is to be feared, as the angel of light. That's being able to come down and look like a minister of righteousness. To look as if, no, what I have for you is truth. This is what you need. He's not looking like the devil. The suit is on. The Bible's in hand. <clears throat> and here in First John, it talks about them overcoming the wicked one, and it's in this context that it means it. Because they're getting doctrinally sound, because growth is taking place based on theology and God's Word and understanding of who God is and what He's done. Doctrines are going. Doctrine just means biblical teaching. But getting soundness and getting grounded. You know what? When He comes as that angel of light, as that minister of righteousness, as that false apostle, you know what happens? Red flags go up. Ding, ding, ding. Wait, what? What? There, there is no Trinity? What? Christ really wasn't God? What? 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 Mary never sinned? And I can talk to her? What? You get grounded. Your mind can go to things right, not just what you heard now. You can actually think of God's Word and say, wait, that's not right. There's protection there. <clears throat> the truth is, I want you to think about this. One of Satan's biggest tasks that he concentrates on greatly is not running around getting you to fall into sin. Oh, he'll do that. But he knows your flesh is great at it. He does. But we see a concentration of his effort is on false religion and false doctrine. Appearing as the angel of light. He'll certainly do the other, but you can clearly see his work is on these false religions and perverting truth. Because... As the Bible tells us, your, your flesh is so good. When we sin, the Bible says it's drawn away of our own lust. We love to blame Satan for it, don't we? But it's your own wicked, desperately wicked heart. If Satan and his little minions there, oh, if they can help you in that way, they'll, they'll assist in that. But Satan himself, it is perverting truth. Getting the, the false ministers, the false doctrine, because he understands all that is at stake and his own end. So as a Christian grows, he becomes strong as a result of the Word of God abiding in him. He's able to see false doctrine. He's able to stand against, stand against it. As Christians grow, you know, I have no worries all of a sudden about a, as you're growing, you get sound. I don't have worries all of a sudden about a JW coming and converting you to become a JW. I don't. I mean, you have knowledge, you have growth, all of a sudden you hear, you hear the, the, uh, some nonsense like, you know, hell isn't real. 
um, you know, where, you know that Christ actually wasn't Jehovah. But when you're grounded in the Word of God, all of a sudden those verses come to mind which tell you, oh yes, He was. And some you've got to get even more grounded for as growth takes place. Some of them can be a little more complex in their deception. Like the SDA movement. It's more complex. You want to know why? Because that broke away directly from the Baptist churches. It broke away from a lot of truth. So they can sound just like us. That's why it's important to understand things about the Sabbath day. Which is Saturday. It's not Sunday. It was never changed. We don't, we don't recognize Sunday as the Sabbath day. It's always been Saturday. That's never changed. Sunday is the Lord's day. Why is it the Lord's day? Because it's the day He what? He rose from the dead. And as you get into the Bible, you learn about the Sabbath day, you understand that was a sign commanded specifically for the nation of Israel. We see that they attended church, not on Saturdays in the New Testament, but on the first day of the week. When did that start? The resurrection. Christ met with them the Sunday of the resurrection, didn't he? Guess when he met again? Eight days later. What day is that? Sunday. He was establishing Sunday worship which continued through the first century on at that time. I don't know how I got into that. That's not anywhere in here. I don't know. So it's here when you get to this stage that the Word of God is now abiding in you and there's protections being built up in your growth. It's not so much parental with mom pulling you aside saying, no, get away from me, get away, get away. You're able to hear it. No, wait, no, no, that's not right. It's not right. You're growing. It's here that a Christian will, is much less likely to be led astray by false doctrine. Let's go into the last stage. Fathers. <clears throat> he said, verse 13, I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. Verse 14, I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. There's major progress taking place here. We're, we're trying to get into this a little bit. Moving just from relationship-based to knowing doctrine to now being in this, as he puts it, a father. This isn't dealing with soul winning. All right? We're for, uh, you're for, I preached on it this morning. I responsible with the gospel. But you know, actually, I don't know how. Maybe, maybe not a whole lot. It might just be a few times. But where I've still heard this used, that this deals now when you're growing, it's because you're leading people to Christ and you're a father to them. That's not what it's dealing with. My goodness. It's dealing with the stages of spiritual growth, comparing it to uh, uh, physically how we grow, to a little child, to a young man, to an adult. That's all it's doing. That's, that's what's taking place here. So this one is characterized by an interesting term, knowing him who is from the beginning. There's growth. Knowing the eternal God, getting closer to Him and closer to Him, learning more and more of God. This is where you just don't know the doctrines anymore, but you begin to know the God of the doctrines. For instance, a person in a young man's stage that's growing and is excited. You, this doesn't happen overnight. They're growing. They're ready to fight for the faith. They're ready for the battle. When you, when you get to this stage, it's no longer so much about the battle. It's about the God of the battle. It's about knowing Him from the beginning. This is where you're saying, maybe like Paul did, that I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. That's wanting to, that's realizing it's about Him. 
In the same book, what did he say? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's wanting to know all about Him. The growth is taking place. It started off just with, with relational, based upon salvation, but then the Word of God was coming in, and you didn't need so much protection, parental care. You're growing. You can begin to stand in the faith. You, you've gained knowledge. The Word of God is abiding in you. But then as that Word of God's abiding in you, you begin to see the real purpose behind it, the Creator. Beginning to know Him from the beginning. Those unsearchable riches and treasures of our faith that are found in God. Getting to that point like Paul, that I, listen, my life is about this, that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering. And that's where we want to get to. Where it's not just about the doctrine, it's about the God of the doctrine. In developing, it goes all the way back to that first stage, that relationship that began at conversion when He forgave our sins. Where your life is now all about Him. All about Him. With eyes, with, with, with eyes closed and heads bowed. Let me get that right. So the key to this growth, let me say this, is the Word of God. That's why we attend. That's why we have church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Churches are just stopping services all the time now. It's just amazing. But you feed on the Word of God. You need it in your own devotional life to meditate upon it, to study it. You need it in the church. It's key to the growth. <clears throat> and you're not going to begin to understand that character of God unless you get into the Word of God. It's not given by some special divine revelation from God in a dream. It's in His Word that allows that relationship to grow. So what stage are you in? Where are you at right now? Where are you at? If the Lord spoke to your heart, I certainly want you to come and respond. And let me ask this before I go. Is there anyone here? Say, Pastor, I know we have no visitors here right now, but maybe this thing of salvation has been bothering you, and I certainly want to give opportunity for that. You say, Pastor, please, uh, my salvation, I am not certain that I truly am converted. I don't know what happened if I were to die right now. I really don't. Please pray for me. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Just put your hand up for me, then put it back down. I see some small children is all I've seen. If you did raise your hand, I would need you to do it again so I could see it. I won't call you out. Anybody here like that? All right, Christian. If you need to come and pray, you come pray. Father in heaven, bless this invitation. Lord, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Turn to page 449. And if you need to come and pray, you come and pray.